What I meant to say to the children this morning was that just as God is the potter, every single part of how they were created was intentional. And that we we see in our own lives is that the very hand of God is constantly at work, even if it doesn't feel like it for us. And even if we don't seem to see it, God is always at work. Let us bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we pray now. For many of us here this morning, we've heard this story time and time again. For many of us who are here this morning, they can already guess what the preacher is going to preach this morning about what it means that we are in your hands. For those who are here this morning, Father, we ask that you would give them fresh ears to hear and new eyes to see. For those of us who are experiencing this story for the first time, we ask, you would teach us exactly what we need to know. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'd like to begin with a simple question. How much, is, how much is this in my hand? Can you guys see that? $10. If you put it up to the light, it has that little strip. You know how it's, they make it harder to counterfeit some of this money? That's $10. $10 can buy you a coffee and a pastry. Can it buy you a combo meal at restaurants these days, like at Carl's Jr. or something? Taco Bell, you can, yeah, but everything just seems way more expensive. It can get you 2.3 gallons of gas, depending where you go. But it's 10 bucks. So how many of you would like to have this $10 bill? Some of you are like, nah, come on. He's not really going to give it away. So what would happen if, like, I crumpled this $10 bill Right? It looks gross and ugly and dingy because it was kind of brand new. Like, do you guys still want this? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, what happens if, like, I throw it on the ground? I know you've seen this illustration before. I'm going to regret stepping on my money. But, like, what, so I think it's gross. It's nasty. I've stepped on it. Now there's, like, all the germs. <laughs> How many of you would still want this $10 bill? Why? Because it still holds its value. And so, like, if we want something that is just as simple as, like, a $10 bill that is gross and dingy, crinkled up, because it still holds its value, the lesson in this illustration is that just like this $10 bill, regardless of the situation you find yourself in, the things you've been through, the sins you've committed, those things you wish would stay hidden in the dark— Regardless of the worst things you've said to other people, you are still infinitely valuable in the eyes of God. And so you're right, I'm not going to give up this $10 bill. (laughs) Because it's mine. (laughs) Although I think I owe Dave Calder $20 from two weeks ago. I do owe you $20. So he helped with our benevolence fund. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you see, things still continue to carry their value despite the things that they go through. And oftentimes what we find is that value actually accrues the more that you go through in life. Like your character becomes more enriched. Your faith becomes deeper. Your experience becomes fuller oftentimes when you go through those difficult times in life. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 18. And if you don't have your Bibles, we do have the PowerPoint up so we can read from the same translation. So Jeremiah chapter 18 is Karen read for us. It says, A word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. 
It says, come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my word. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at the wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel? And remember, in the Old Testament, it is speaking about the nation of Israel at the time. But what we find in the New Testament, especially in the writings of Paul, is that you as a believer in Jesus actually become what he calls the spiritual house of Israel. Which means that whenever we read things in the Old Testament that say like the house of Israel, what he's actually saying, it's inviting you as a believer in Christ to say that this is true for you as well. And so what it says is that just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And so I love this, and this is something like a theme that we've been going through over the last several months in our, in our study time here during our sermons, is that oftentimes in order for you to hear a word from God, you have to remove yourself from your day-to-day life And go to a place where you might be able to hear God's voice free of distraction. We all know that most of us have cell phones. And we think that these cell phones are so great, and they are. But so much of the time, we just go to these cell phones, and we're constantly looking either at our news, or social media, or sports, or reading, or just whatever Netflix that we do on our cell phones. And without us realizing it, so much of our lives just kind of seems to fly by. And what we find when it comes to communicating with God, it is true that God can communicate with us in every and and any moment of our day. But what ends up happening is we often can hear the voice of God clearer if we remove ourselves from our daily life. And so what we get a glimpse into this picture here of the potter and of Jeremiah is that God tells Jeremiah, go to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my word. There's something about going to this place that God is telling Jeremiah, be ready because you are going to hear a word. You know, a lot of times we come to church because we want to hear a word from God. Now, you may not audibly hear the words of God. I I never have actually heard God speak to me. But I've heard God communicate with me through the senses and clarity and the nudgings of my heart. And so oftentimes we come to church because we want to hear a word from God. And what Jeremiah sees is that the vessel that the clay made, that the potter was making was spoiled. It was ruined. It it didn't look like it was supposed to. It doesn't tell us what it was supposed to look like. It just says that the, the clay was spoiled. It wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And the potter reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. So let me give you a, a cheat sheet for this message. Who's the potter? God. Who's the clay? Us and what does the wheel represent? Everyone's like, ah, oh, I don't know. So, like, I think the best that we can do with, you know, taking some freedom here is that the wheel may represent our world, the world that we live in, the environment, the circumstances you find yourself in. It is just kind of the realm of reality. So, if you're the clay and you're in the realm of reality, oftentimes we feel like we're not good enough. We feel not worthy enough. We feel that because of the sins that we have committed in our lives, we feel like we are not lovable enough. And so what ends up happening, I think, and what the scriptures tell us, is it is so easy for us as human beings to focus on our sin, on the destructive habits, on our mistakes, on our failures, on all of the terrible things we've done in our lives, and we have a tendency to focus on that, and we say, because of all of these things in my life, I must not be that valuable. 
But what the Bible teaches us, especially in this story, is that those are not the things that define your value and your worth, but what defines your value and your worth is what it means that the potter, that the father is reshaping and reworking you every single moment of the day. So when we come to the New Testament and Paul says things like, I am making you into a new creation, it's not something brand new that Paul came up with out of thin air. It's this constant theme throughout all of Scripture where God is continually reshaping and refashioning and building you up to the person that God wants you to be. And what we find in Scripture is that generally it is a process of time where God works with you in your lives. And so just like Israel, we are the clay, and God is working to shape us and take away our flaws. Because if we are the clay in the potter's hand, we become infinitely more valuable. So I want to give another illustration. Let me make sure I get these numbers right. A basketball is worth about $34. By the way, these are all sports analogies. If you're not into sports, you'll still get the point. I'm not even that much into sports, but it makes it easy. A basketball is worth about $34, but in the hands of Stephen Curry of the Golden State Warriors, it's worth about $201 million, because that's what he's worth, or that's how much he makes, not including endorsements or anything else. This is just to shoot and make baskets. Here's one for the local talent. A baseball costs about $20, I don't know, $22. But in the hands of Mike Trout, it's worth about $430 million over 13 years. I didn't even have that in my notes. (laughs) A tennis ball is worth about $3, but in the hands of Rafael Nadal, it's worth about $98 million, which is what he's made just playing tennis, not including endorsements or anything else. And here's one for some of the other folks in the congregation. A golf ball costs about two bucks or whatever, but in the hands of Tiger Woods. See, I don't know if this number's correct, but it says $43.3 million, which is his earnings, but, I mean, he's worth like a billion dollars or something like that. So you see, these things that seem to be kind of ordinary in the hands of the right person become infinitely valuable for eternity. You see, you are this thing that is in the hands of the creator and God is constantly at work forming and reshaping and smoothing out your life. This doesn't mean that your circumstances change, but what this means is that regardless of the circumstance you find yourself in, God is strengthening you. The Bible tells us that when you go through trials and tribulations that your character is strengthened And not only that your character is strengthened, but you gain this new endurance to be able to go through and overcome these things in your life. If we're honest, most of us will look back over our lives and we'll say like, yeah, we would like to take the credit for being able to get through things in our life, but so much of it has been infused by the Spirit of God that teaches us how to see things in a different way, that teaches us how to change and shift our perceptions that changes us and teaches us how to change even our thoughts and how we behave in the world. And so, so much of this is infused by the Spirit of God, the clay, the potter, the clay maker. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this. It says, for you are what God has made you. I'm changing the words just so it makes more sense, but you are what God has made you, created in Christ. For what does that say? 
for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be your way of life. You are God's handiwork. There's another part in Scripture that says that you are God's favored possession, that you are God's most favorite, and I guess we're a possession of, the, of God, but you are God's treasured possession, continually at work and being sent by God to be a blessing to the world. Not just so that we can ask God for blessing, but that we can take the blessings that we have and continue to bless others. Because the Bible tells us, and it's clear, you were made to do good works. So the question is, what are you being molded and shaped into? And I know we've said this often here, but like what you expose yourself will shape and mold your perspective and shape how you see the world. But when you are ultimately connected to God, God shapes and helps you to see the world in such a way that we call the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, where we begin to see the world in such a different way that, yes, all of these things are still annoying and bothering us, and we wish that things were different, but we don't allow it to have control over us because we know that God is giving us the ability to be able to live in such a way where we can live above and beyond some of these difficult things in our lives. So I want to share with you an illustration. This, is, this picture, it's a handkerchief, and it says, there is a story that is told of a woman who once showed the famous art critic, John Ruskin, a costly handkerchief on which a blot of ink had been dropped. The handkerchief was ruined, complained the woman, and nothing was left to do except to throw it away. But Ruskin said nothing, and he took the handkerchief with him. Not long afterwards, when he he sends this back to this woman, and all of a sudden it is this masterpiece of a handkerchief, and he used that ink blot that she thought ruined the handkerchief. Actually, he used it to make it into a masterpiece of a handkerchief, and all of a sudden what she thought was wasted now became something that was infinitely more valuable than it was before. By now you might have guessed that this is an analogy about you. We allow the sins in our lives to define our value and our worth. The sins in our lives will often create this shame and this guilt within us. And we think to ourselves, like, if we have done this, A, God doesn't want to hear from us. And B, my family's not going to want to, you know, hear from me. So I must be unworthy and worthless. So I'm just going to give up. And that's the voice of sin, the false voice of sin in our lives that tells us that our worth is based on the actions and the things that we do. But what the gospel teaches us is that your worth and value comes not from the things that you do, but from the love of the Father and what Jesus has done for you. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus because we said that we believe that that changes everything, not just in the world, but it changes everything about how we see ourselves and how we relate to God. And so you are the clay in the potter's hand, and God is continually giving you value, infinite worth for all eternity. The Bible calls you a saint. Did you know that? See, so many of us, we call ourselves, oh, I'm such a sinner, I'm such a sinner. And yet the Bible calls you a saint. Not the kind of saint that we're going to canonize and put up on one of these, you know, like a statue of you. We're not going to do that. That's just not what we do. Because for us, we believe that the scripture calls saints people who are alive, who are living a life that is surrendered fully to God. Proverbs 17 verse 3 says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tries the heart. Which is this kind of crazy, cool way of saying that God is continually refining you. 
So many of the circumstances that you find in your life, especially like the trials in your life, God is using those difficult circumstances in your life to refine and teach you new ways of being. I said this before, and I'm, 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 we're blessed to have my father-in-law here today. Uh, Kara's mom's at home with Kara with the baby and having fun, <laughs> trying to calm her when she cries. But my father-in-law decided to come and listen to hear a word from his son-in-law. <laughs> but one of the things that he taught us is that whenever you think of suffering, and I've shared this with you time and time again, is that oftentimes when we think of suffering, it would benefit us to see it as a gift. Because suffering not only teaches us about ourselves, but it teaches us about the world. And as the Bible teaches us, it continues to strengthen and provide endurance and character and faith. You see, we don't like to talk about suffering, and yet the Bible says when you suffer, consider it a blessing. When you suffer, boast about it, brag about it, because you get to share in what Jesus has done for us. So if suffering is a gift, if trials are what purify us, there's three ways that we can look at what trials do for us. And I didn't, I didn't put this up on the screen, so I'm just going to say them. Whenever you face a trial or difficult circumstance in your life, when you feel like things just aren't going to get any better, I want you to think of these three things that it's doing for you. Trials help to build up your faith. I can email you the texts that go with this if you want, but I didn't put them up. Trials uh, build up your faith. Trials purify our lives. Oftentimes when we go through these difficult circumstances in our lives, one of the first things that we do is we, we cling closer to God, but then we begin to ask these difficult questions like, all right, what is it in my life that needs to start changing what are the things in my life that I need to, that I need to stop doing? What are, what are the habits that have to stop? And what are the new habits, right? So trials begin, it's like this look in the mirror that says, all right, like this is who you are. There's no hiding this, but this isn't who you have to continue to be. And the third thing that trials do for us is they bring glory to God. But you see, whenever we go through something, we're just like, oh, woe is me. I'm a victim. Everything is terrible. Life is not the way it's supposed to. But God's like, all right, but like you can change your perception about this and understand that this actually is a gift. Now, I'm not saying that God is causing all of the bad things to happen in your life. I'm just not saying that at all. I think there's a level of God's sovereignty, and then there's a level of the natural consequences of the decisions that we make in our lives that sometimes lead us to terrible, no good things. But a trial, regardless of its effect, we always have the power to not only change our perception, but change how we're going to think about it and how we're going to act from it. And the best thing that we can do is continually to be reminded to come back to God. And, and before we're done, I'm going to read that second part of that text of Jeremiah. You see, we love that first part of the Jeremiah text, but I'm going to read the second part that I think you'll find even more fascinating because you'll see exactly how that plays out in your life. So I want to just read a couple of the notes that I have here. Clay in the potter's hand, so you in the hands of God has several purposes. Number one is that he has a purpose for every piece of clay. A potter, all, or the, the potter, yeah, the potter, the person always has a purpose for a piece of clay that he's working on. Isn't that true? Some of it will become a jug, a jar, a cup, a plate, a bowl, whatever else that potters make, but every single piece of clay has a purpose for it. And remember, feel free to apply this to yourself. A potter will always work from the inside out. Think about that for a second. A potter always works from the inside out. Isn't that what God is doing in each one of our lives? 
Isn't that what Paul talks about when he says that you are being recreated and made into a new creation? That the newness of life is working within you? You are being refashioned from the inside out. And he displays his finished work. Vessels of honor have a prominent place. The vessel has to be finished and functioning well. Jesus is still at work in you and in us as a corporate body. And the Bible says this, well, God always uses his hands. The potter always uses his hands, which is a way of saying that God is intimately connected in the goings and doings of your life. Now, I know it's easy for us to say, well, I just don't see that because so much of what's gone on in my life. But you always have the capacity to be able to know that God is working from the inside out and God is using his hands in your life. And sometimes, as we've seen in the Bible, by the way, this is a Bible truth, sometimes it takes a lot longer than it should for us to get to where we need to be. But God's presence always goes with you, even if it feels like the journey is taking longer than you'd like. So I have another picture I want to show you. Some of you have probably seen this on social media. I know that's where I saw it. (laughs) So there is this Japanese art, and it's called, it's Kintsu Kori. I probably butchered that. But it's basically called golden joinering, which is like you basically take a broken piece of ceramics or jars or pots and then you use this golden kind of substance to mold it back together into what it was originally supposed to look like. Now, this has become and is a work of art in the Japanese culture. And the idea behind this is, you see, and you can probably kind of see on the screen that it has some of that gold, like you can see where the pieces have been broken. But the idea behind this in the Japanese culture is that this piece actually has become much more beautiful for being broken and being put back together than it was just as a normal piece of ceramic. You see, you are this piece of ceramic that is continually being put back together by the loving hands of God. And in many ways, we become more beautiful spiritually when we've been through trials. If you've ever met someone who's been through difficult times in their lives and, and they've maintained their faith, you'll know that their way of being has this deep sense of peace because they have been through the fire. They have been refined. God has pruned them and they are continuing to walk in this newness and resurrected life that God is calling us to. I'm gonna skip a slide and then go to the final passage. In a large house, there are utensils, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for special use and some for ordinary. All who cleanse themselves of the things I have mentioned, I encourage you to read this, by the way, Second Timothy chapter 2. All who cleanse themselves of the things I have mentioned will become special utensils, dedicated and useful to the owner of the house, ready for every good work. Let's just pause for a second. This is a metaphor and symbolic language. You are the special utensils in the house of God. And so much of our lives is about reorienting our lives to the will and the harmony that God wants for us. So much of the journey of faith isn't just about being better people, but about orienting our lives to God and allowing God to lead us and and move us forward in our lives. And part of the cleansing is part of turning away from the life that we once lived and living a life that is solely committed to Christ. 
You see, you are a utensil. Whether you're in the hands of God or in the hands of something else, God is wanting to continue to fashion you and use you in a very special way. And I was going to, let me, let me just finish with this. And it's not in the PowerPoint. So let me just go to Jeremiah. My biggest fear is that I say, let us go to this book in the Bible and I can't find it when I'm up here. I just want to finish with where we started in Jeremiah chapter 18. Verse 7 says this, At one moment I may declare, this is God speaking, At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck you up and break you down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning, which I have spoken to the nation I'm talking about, turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. At another moment, so basically what this is saying is like God says, I'm going to bring judgment on you. But what we find in scripture, in the book of Jonah especially, is that if people are willing to repent and turn from the life that they have been living, God says, all right, I'm going to give you an even better future. And at another moment, I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do it. Now, therefore, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, tell the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, I am the potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil ways and amend your ways and your doings. I know this kind of says the words of judgment, but the words of judgment when it comes from God are always words of good news. Because what we've just found in this last part of this verse that we don't read very often is that whenever you hear the word of God being spoken, it is actually an invitation from God to ask you to trust him more. And so what we find in this first part of this passage is that God is the potter and the clay is the nation of Israel and we are that nation. And so on the one hand, the potter is sovereign and has complete control over the, over the pot. But the second part of this verse in Jeremiah is that, is that yes, God is in control, but also we have free will. And in our Western mind, it makes absolutely no sense. We want to say, God is either in control or I have free will. But for the Hebrew mindset, it's God is in control and we are responsible for the actions that we do. And so what we find in this story is that, yes, God is in control working in your life to give you a better future. And yes, you are responsible for the things that you do and the behaviors that you have and the actions that you take. And ultimately, God will work out his thing that he wants for you. And so when we come to the end of this teaching... You are the clay. God is the potter. He is the master sculptor working in your life to give you the best future possible. But sometimes we relent or we try to go a different way, but God is constantly bringing his people back to himself and working in your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even though sometimes the clay of our lives is spoiled, that even though, as Jeremiah tells us, that sometimes we choose a different way, we thank you that you bring us back home. And so we ask now that as we continue to think of ourselves as clay in your hands, that we would trust you and surrender fully to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.